Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, my name's R.D. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be with you. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew uh, this morning in chapter 3. I'm going to start with a question uh, this morning uh, that uh, may, may sound a bit like uh, the deep end, uh, but we're going to start there, uh, and it's this. Why are you the way that you are? What? Oh, Lord, how much time? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's a uh, question I'm thinking about uh, for this text, and uh, there's many ways to go about it in a, uh, the, uh, a funny way, a deep way. You know, it uh, comes from, if, if you are familiar with the, um, uh, the television show, uh, The Office, uh, that uh, Michael Scott, who is the branch manager, is always at war with the guy who runs HR, Toby Flenderson, right? Because Michael want, you know, wants to run this ship just crazy. He loves people, but he's an idiot. And so he wants to do all of these things. And HR is like, you can't do that. That's illegal. That's ridiculous. You know, and so part of the show is just their battle. And at one point, in the show, uh, Michael has this idea, something that's totally ridiculous, should never happen, you know, should be a no, and then Toby just kind of shuts it down. He's like, I didn't do that. We can't actually do that. That's, you know, dang, whatever. And Michael Scott just looks at him and just says, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> why, why are you the way that you are? Because... In that example that is funny, he and Toby see the world <laughs> absolutely differently. And I think about that question when I think about someone else, my goodness, who saw the world absolutely differently. <laughs> Probably as differently as, as anyone has ever seen the world, someone who stands um, kind of against the grain as much as anyone ever has, and it's John the baptizer. John, crazy John. And what we're going to look at this morning is a text, but even larger than that is behind the message of John is the man of who John is that Greg got into some last week as he talked about uh, John, but to see uh, his message and the, the clarity of it, the confidence of it, sometimes the craziness of it, we have to see who he was, who, who he is, why is he the way that he is, how is he the way that he is. In the first century Israel, there is actually uh, this amazing anticipation that God is up to something. He's been uh, outside of the, uh, the Christmas narrative, which has still been only revealed to a few people. Uh, many years have passed since then, and Jesus is growing up, uh, and John is growing up, and we, we don't know a lot about either of them as they're growing up, but they are. But previous to you know, Matthew chapter 1, God has been silent, at least through the word in this way, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and all of a sudden, there is this frenzied activity. And if you read some about the first century, which I know many of you do and spend your time doing, you will know that in the first century, it was really uh, pregnant with this sense that something was happening in Israel. Uh, there are actually many people who claimed to be the Messiah in the first century, Many people who said, I'm the one, right? It's me. I've come to deliver you. God's working through me. And if you read through the history, you see person after person. Jesus wasn't the only one doing it. John wasn't the only one doing it. There were many people in the first century right, who were kind of seeing how things were and just saying, I'm going to take advantage of this. 
I want people to come to me. And so there's anticipation. There's expectation. When you have anticipation and expectation, all you have to do is light a match. And in the midst of all of that, out in the desert is a voice. Nothing more, nothing less than a voice. That's the title of the message, The Voice. We'll read last week's passage and also this as well to get the whole sense of Matthew chapter three and what Matthew wants us to see. Picking up in verse one of chapter three of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, this is Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey, so very, you know, keto-friendly diet there. Then Jerusalem, I think, I have no idea, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Note that. We'll come back to that. Verse 7, this is the new section for this week. But when he saw John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming out to his baptism, he said to them, you nice men, no, he said something you may not should do, uh, you brood of vipers, wow, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Yikes, wow. <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a word, right? That, that is a, um, that's a voice. Clarity and confidence and um, passion. So what, what's, in a nutshell, what's the message of John? It's, um, it's get ready. It's be prepared. It's a message of preparation. God is coming. Are you prepared to meet the living God? It's almost like uh, kind of an, an old time revival, if you will. Are you ready? God is coming. What if he came tonight? And John is in the wilderness with his crazy hair and beard and outfits and just randomly putting back some locusts and he is just preaching, 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 prepare, God is coming, God is coming, God is coming. Are you ready? Are you prepared? The way to prepare is to repent. The way to prepare is to repent. Right, because you're, you're going to um, gauge your preparation of anything based on the anticipation of what's to come, right? So what you anticipate, back it up. That's how you're going to prepare, hopefully. Right? Hopefully that is what you know, happens. Our girls, uh, we were watching a documentary a few nights ago uh, on uh, one of the 800 streaming things. I can't remember which one. On the uh, women's gymnastics team going to the Olympics. Uh, and so, you know, love, love gymnastics just at least every four years, I guess, and watch it. And uh, so our girls, you know, it's the first Olympics that they're really watching and engaged in. And so we're watching uh, uh, 
the, this documentary that kind of you know, tracks the women who want to compete on the team for four spots. So now it was seven, then it's five, now it's four. Four spots, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of girls. And so it's profiling some of the hopefuls about their training. And so the girls, you know, we, we, begin, uh, we begin watching it. Amazing Camille are like, I think I want to do gymnastics. Maybe I can be, you know, at the Olympics. You know, and of course, at first I'm like, you can do anything. Whatever you want, you know, you can do great. As we start to watch the show, you just see the preparation that is required to make the final four of the Olympic team. Heck, to make the final 100 of an Olympic team. And the girls, uh, ranging from like 15, I've always to 20, they're interviewing them, and they're just like, this is my life. I have no life. Right? I gave up everything to pursue this. And so Maisie looks over at me, and she's like, Dad, maybe I want to stick to soccer. <laughs> it's like, because I'm their soccer coach. She's like, you don't really push us like that. I'm like... I'm like, just you wait this fall. <laughs> I'm going to be out there at Cedar Springs and it's going to be out of control, right? I'm going to be just, yeah, prepare the wave, right, for the Bobcats, right? Get them out of here. That's what I'm going to be saying, right? They're just like, this is, I don't want to prepare like that, right? <laughs> Man, but that, that level of preparation that is needed, as you just watch the Olympics that start uh, this coming weekend, Lord willing, then you see that, wow, that preparation for what, a minute 30 seconds, now it will be five years, but they're ready, in a sense, <laughs> right? I mean, I did all I could to prepare for having twins, right? And I was not prepared, <laughs> right? I remember when we were in the, uh, the exam room because we thought we had one baby and I thought it was most likely a son because that's just what I assumed, right? I don't know why, but I just thought, and the, uh, the nurse, she puts on the whatever the gel thing. And I'm like, this is like a movie, but it's my life. Like I'm watching it happen. And so they put the thing on. And I see these two sacks or whatever medically they're called. I'm not sure. Obviously babies, you know, of course, but two just kind of circular. Clearly I'm a doctor, right? I'm a soul physician. That is all. And I just am like two. And then right as I'm thinking that she's like, you've got, she's like, there's two of them. And my wife was like, Two what? <laughs> right? Two legs? It's great. Two what? And she's like, no, it's, it's, uh, it's two babies, you know? And the nurse, she was like, I legally can't lie to you. I have to tell you that they're two. And I'm like, okay, just give us a moment, nurse lady. Like, we get it, okay? Just calm down a notch. We have to just sit in this. And now I'm like, I was prepared for it. And then we found out a few weeks later uh, that it was two girls. And I was just like, how, okay, Amazon, how to prepare, how to do, right? What to expect when you're expecting. It's just, I don't even know, right? All these things. And so you, you do things to prepare for having kids or, or uh, you know, that for us, for having twins and you're getting stuff ready. Uh, and I remember when we brought the girls home from the hospital and the, the crib that they're going to be in wouldn't fit through the door of uh, their room. So I took the door off, but it's like a 1920s house. And so I had, to, uh, I had to take the door off. And as I took the hinges off, like the whole door just basically just, I mean, it just went away. And so they're crying. My wife has already passed out because she just delivered children right from her body. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I'm not ready. And so I put the door in the living room and then the kids are in their room. 
room, one's in one crib and then one's in the other that was already in there and they're wailing and crying and I'm like, I diaper, I don't, I have no idea and I finally get them down. I fall asleep for probably like 94 seconds and then just wake up and they're awake and that was like day four and I was just thinking one thing, I am not prepared. <laughs> I am, I am, there's preparing to have children and then there's having children. There's preparing to be married. We do a lot of premarital counseling and there's this, and so and some of you in this room may have done premarital counseling with me and you're like, oh boy, thank you for telling us now. There's a part of me that's like, I'm doing a lot of this work and there's a back of my mind, I'm like, none of this really matters because you have no freaking clue. <laughs> right? Can we just be honest, right? As honest as John the Baptist. There's like, you know, you're gonna have communication. Oh yeah, we're gonna have communication conflicts. I'm like, my gosh, you have no clue. You have no clue. But I, I love her. That's not enough. <laughs> right? It, it's you got there's there's the pre, but being prepared. It obviously, of course, is helpful. But in a much greater sense, there's preparing to meet the Lord. My goodness, and then there's meeting the Lord. There's getting yourself ready, and then he's here. And John is saying, make clear the path for his presence, for his power, for his fire. Right? Sold out. He's a radical. I mean, he is obsessed with this. We don't know a lot about him. Maybe he told jokes. Maybe he was a funny guy. Maybe he was into sports. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> Seems like he was pretty highly strung around one thing, the coming of the Messiah. He wants everyone to be ready for the coming of Jesus. And so to say again, why is he the way that he is? How is he the way that he is? Both bold and fearless and yet humble. Not about himself. Well, because he knows who he is. He knows whose he is more than anyone else ever has, I think. That's why I think Jesus calls him the greatest, because he was the least. John 1 puts it this way. And this is a testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, and here it is, I am not the Christ. I am not, I am not him. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Because he's dressed like Elijah. He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, mm, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That's it. I'm the voice. I am a voice. And let me encourage you, you are nothing more and nothing less than the voice that God wants to use. Just like John the Baptist, I am a voice. And so to, to be, have confidence in that, to be on the one hand both fearless and unafraid as John was, we'll talk more about that uh, with what he says to the religious leaders and then to King Herod one day. He's bold and, and fearless and unafraid, and at the same time, he's humble and not about himself and about uh, the coming Christ. He's both of these things because he has heard the voice of God and he's been formed in the wilderness and in the desert. 
right? He's been prepared for this moment. Firstly, if you notice in the beginning, it's both here in uh, John and, and all of the gospel accounts actually talk about John the Baptist. Uh, in chapter three, verse one of Matthew, it does say, uh, John was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He is in the wilderness, in the desert, and I would imagine he'd been there a long time. Doesn't seem like a city guy, John. Seems like he's been living there, and so often, just like the prophets of old, the way that God forms us is often, meaning always, through the wilderness, through the desert, through the pain, outside the means of how we think God should form us, right? John's dad, Zechariah, was the high priest, right, when he gets muted. And so John, like any firstborn son, then could have easily been another priest. That would have been fun to imagine. Could have followed that, right? Could have built his movement right in the heart of Jerusalem. And yet he chooses another path. Why? Because but he heard the voice of God. He went out to the wilderness because God at that moment had in a sense just abandoned the temple and Jerusalem because of the leadership there. And his uh, center of gravity has moved out to the wilderness and where John is just living and hearing the voice of God. And so for all of us to hear the voice of God, right? You're gonna hear his voice often when you get out into the wilderness or the desert, whatever that may be for you. To actually hear from him in the times of suffering and pain. When it, when it seems like, well, I think I can go this way and hear the voice of God. And God's like, no, no you're going to go over this way. Because if you go through the Bible, you see where God speaks is often in the most unlikely places. He gets us away from things we know. And then we can hear from him in a fresh way. And so the places that God is inviting us into at first glance often seem like this is not the way. This is not the path. And as we look back, how many times do you look back and say, that's exactly the path. That's exactly the way. I heard his voice most clearly then when I was in the desert at that point in my life. And that's what it is for, for John. John finds his voice in the wilderness. His, his voice. And think about what are the places that have formed you that God's using to form you right? Not only was he formed in the desert, in the wilderness, where God formed, I mean, he forms the entire people of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert, but that's a sermon for another time. He's not only just, he's not only just living in the desert, thinking, making up his own law, like a prophet of any other religion, right? No, he's actually heard the voice of God. John is nothing more than a translator. Look at John chapter three, the end of it says this, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. So this desire for crowds, not a new thing, <laughs> not a 21st century thing. So how does, how does John answer that? Amazing. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
That's a man who's heard the voice of God, who knows his voice, right? He has, he has a, a, he's shaped his identity, not around his gifts, himself, his passion, but around who God has revealed himself to be. I mean, he says it here. He says, I'm not the Christ. And of course, I think everyone in this room, everyone watching would say that. We'd all say I'm not the Christ, but oftentimes we live like we are. I live like I am. I'm not saying I'm God. I just rearrange everything in my life to be God, right? To be in control, right? To do these things. I mean, yeah. And so John's like, uh, the guys come to him and, and they're just like, hey, you were Mr. Popular. Everybody was coming to you. You were the radical. And now there's someone even more radical than you. And John just says, it's fine. In fact, it's all the better because it's not about me. It's about him. And I love this little verse where John says, um, uh, he says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John is not trying to compete with the voice of Jesus. In fact, he rejoices at the voice. And you know that you're living in who God made you to be when you're not threatened by other people. When in fact, you can rejoice in other people because that gives more glory to God. And I'll be the first to confess, I don't live in a state of rejoicing for other people. There's plenty of me that's like, I want that. I wish I preached that sermon. <laughs> I wish I did that as a dad, right? I would, why not me? Okay, someone posts something on you know, YouTube or Facebook and it's like, oh, isn't that so wonderful? Like now I feel terrible about myself because I am not nearly like that, right? And just this kind of me, 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 meanness instead of just rejoicing in the way that God is moving and has shaped other people. Wouldn't that build a healthier culture than just trying to compete and to be envious, right? All of these things to just rejoice because you are growing in who God made you to be. Right, I think it's Chesterton, I think it's him, could be Lewis, one of the greats, who just said, you know, um, comparison is the thief of joy. Right, and I think social media is, is in a, well, I don't even know, but in a sense it's neutral, I think. <laughs> but man, I wonder if 20, 30 years from now we look back at everything that social media did and so much of what it did is it hollowed out our souls. And in the church, it made us not be people who rejoice at other people, but made us envious and made us at war with each other. Where John, there's the John the Baptist people, and there's the Jesus people, and there are these people, whatever it may be. And John, because you have these disciples in front of John, and they're looking at him, and they're saying, John, we want to follow you. You're the guy, right? This Jesus, he's soft. Right? Where's the fire? We want to follow you. Right? And John in that moment, right? This is a leadership moment. John in that moment says, it's not about me, guys. Never been about me. Right? It's what he says later on in, in Matthew chapter 3. He says, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Talk about getting low. And yet, what, is, what does it say here? Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Because he found his voice. And we, live, we live in such an age of trying to find our voice. There's a TV show called The Voice, right? Great, love it. But every movie, 
every show, every kid's show is about finding your voice, right? The age of authenticity. And John is saying, Jesus is saying, the Bible is saying, true authenticity is not found by looking in, right? But by looking up to the voice of God. And John is, he's, he is, right, joy is found by just being who God made you to be. Then your message will just be, you'll be unafraid. He's free. That's why John is going to say the things he says. I mean, how can someone say, you brood of vipers, if he's looking for their approval? I'm not going to say that to all of you wonderful, beautiful people. I would not say that, right? I'll let Greg say that. I will just say, <laughs> I think John is his spirit prophet. He's probably lurking back, I know. Um, right, you, you, you brood of vibrant. I love in, um, let me go back here. In verse six, it's so interesting. John, I think, has a couple of messages. In verse, in verse five, it says that all of Jerusalem and Judea are coming out to him and being baptized. Now, uh, in previous times, only Gentiles, pagans, got baptized so they could be part of the family of Israel. But what John is saying is radically egalitarian, meaning it's, it's equal for everybody. John is saying, no, Jew or Gentile, Everyone must now be baptized. Everyone is dirty. Everyone must be clean. And what's beautiful about this is people are responding. The, the, most of the, the ordinary people, right, the, the peasants and the moms, the dads, uh, people that are working, uh, it says they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. And so John's message to them, maybe he was saying, you brood of vipers, I doubt it. I think he was saying, repent, come home, Right? Get ready for God. Confess your sins. Change your life, right? Repentance is this reorientation, going one way and totally turning and then moving the other way. And John is saying, do this to prepare yourself for the coming of the Messiah. And people are getting in the water. They're being baptized. They're being changed. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're coming out to him now, right? John could have been one of them. He rejected that. And he says, you brood of vipers, and then he, he turns it up even more, which I'm like, who, John? He says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He's basically like, who told you to come out here to even have a chance? Which is like, John, geez, man. <laughs> Give him a shot, brother. <laughs> but he knows rank and file of the religious leadership of the day were no longer listening to the voice of God, but to their voice. And that happens in our moment as well. When you have churches and people and leaders that would say with their mouths, Jesus is the voice, but they're the voice. And John is saying, get out of here. You, there is double, double pain, double judgment for those in leadership of God's people who then are leading people, not to God, but to themselves. And that's why Jesus loses it over them. Because he's saying, you were, you were held to a higher standard. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs, right? right? You say with your mouth that you love God. You say with your mouth, this is what God's revealed to you. You haven't heard my voice in years. Haven't heard it. Aren't even listening anymore. So confident in your own self-righteousness, but you wouldn't even call it that. Same true for me, it's true for you. 
That's why John goes after him. He says, because they have this false security. They think because they're the people of Israel, which up to that point, I could get why they think that to some level. They think, Father Abraham, we're good because we know him, because we're in him. God would never touch us, even though like just read the Old Testament where God sends people in exile all the time for disobedience. They think we're good, we're secure. We're, we are the chosen people. God would never and John is saying, don't you presume upon God right, what God may or may not do. God does not exist to fit into your box of who God should be because God could take these stones right around you and turn them into children of Abraham, people in Christ. He could do it. Doesn't need you. And so for us to say, hey, it's nothing wrong with being a part of fellowship, nothing wrong with, with uh, having great theology, doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you saved. Where is your trust? Where is your security? When you come to meet the living God face to face, what is the ground by which you stand on? I went to fellowship. I was in a Bible study. I was reformed. I was this. I was that. Meaningless. <laughs> Unless you're standing in Christ. Unless the blood pleads for you. Meaningless. And John I know he comes off with a sharp edge, but he does it all from a posture of love. So bold, so strong. And he goes on and just is so explicit. There is judgment coming. The ax is laid at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down. You want to see if you're actually following Christ. Look at the fruit. Show me the fruit. <laughs> Where is the fruit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Are these things growing in our hearts, in our lives? And so repentance, uh, not just out of religious duty, right? Not just because we're sorry that we got caught, but repentance that comes from God just breaking us. And then knowing that in love, he's leading us into that. We're turning our lives to him again and again and again. There's a reason there's new mercy every morning. Because there should be new repentance every morning. Every hour, every day. Martin Luther talks about all of our life is one of repentance. And if you hear that in a religious way, you're going to think that sounds terrible. I just got to repent, repent, and repent to make God love me. No. Because God loves you, because God's chosen you, you are invited and called to repent. Repent and turn your life again and say, Lord, I've been trusting in false Abrahams. I've been trusting in other things. I love you, but the fruit is just not there. I want to hear your voice, Lord. I want to turn the volume up on you and the volume down on everything else in my life that I would hear from you. And John wants, longs for his people to see that. But again, he just points them to Jesus. He points them to him. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And again, we just see this amazing verse, John 3, 30. Uh, he must increase and I must decrease. Isn't that an amazing verse? Is that one that we can never plumb the depths of? Is that a verse that you read and you think, I can move on? I'm good. But it's an invitation to deeper joy, not to greater shame. He must increase. I must decrease. The greater joy is found in increasing God in your heart and decreasing you, which is only somewhat countercultural in our moment. So, can you hear his voice? 
You won't be able to hear his voice if you're not repenting. If you're not confessing. If you're not clearing out space, preparing the way in your own heart to hear from him. In the word, in prayer, and through, sometimes, yes, in the word and prayer, I don't mean to go quickly through those, um, but those are non-negotiables. You, you cannot hear from God in an essence way without uh, hearing from him through his word. If you open up the book, you hear from him. You hear from him. But there are other ways to hear from him too, that, that God would want to find the way in which your voice can be used for his glory. You've got to repent, you've got to be confessing, but then there also sometimes we need, right, other people to help us find our voice, don't we? To encourage us. I've needed that in my life, I still need it. I've had people speak into my life over the last several weeks, has been unbelievable. I'm like, that is my voice. But I thought my voice was here. Sometimes you don't even know your voice. And you need other people, people that love Jesus, who can say, you know what? I think this is what God's inviting you to do. I want to tell you a quick story about one of those uh, people that you may never have heard of, um, Mahalia Jackson. You know Mahalia Jackson, black woman known as the queen of gospel back in the 1950s and 60s. This woman could sing. YouTube video, look her up. You're going to church. That's what you're doing. You're, going to, you're coming to faith again if you listen to this woman, okay? She's a musical legend, helped bring the gospel from the church to mass audiences. She mentored just a few people, Aretha Franklin, Della Reese, no big deal. In 1961, she was the first gospel singer to win a Grammy. No big deal. And she was also a very, very good friend of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And here's where her voice, she was actually, um, by many people, her voice was called the soundtrack of the civil rights movement through her songs. But in one moment in particular, she used her voice to elevate another voice. In Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech um, at the National Mall, uh, where there are about 250,000 people gathered. You can watch it on YouTube. I hope you have. I was watching it again this morning, last night. It's so good. He had um, about five minutes to speak. And he had two different uh, themes he was going back and forth between. One was the I Have a Dream, which he'd given uh, a few times before. And the other one was a, um, uh, more about uh, the image of like a bad check where uh, America's failure to deliver for black Americans. And so he goes with the bad, the bad check imagery because he doesn't want it to be quite as big, quite as over the top. And so he begins his speech, which is still a good speech because he's an amazing orator. He begins his speech talking about, about that. And he gets to a moment in the speech, and you can actually watch it and see when this happens. He gets to a moment in the speech that you can tell that he feels is kind of clunky, and I get that as a preacher. You're just like, get these notes away from me. I'm ready to go, right? And he gets to a moment, and he has, he has a couple lines that he says, and all of a sudden you hear, he's going through the bad check imagery, you know, and it's good, people are clapping, blah, 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 blah. He gets to a moment halfway through his speech, and you hear out of the right side of the screen, someone say, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And that was Mahalia Jackson because she'd heard the speech before and she could tell that's what, that's what God needed him to say. 
And so from that, he looks over, and one of the guys that's given the notes on this, he looks over, and then the people behind him, they said he moved his notes over to the left, and then he just began to talk. And that became the portion of the, spree, of the speech that is, I have a dream. Talk about a voice. A moment. <clears throat> it went from a great speech to anointed. It was in Dr. Martin Luther King. He'd given the speech before, but in one moment, someone else used their amazing voice to encourage and challenge someone else to use the voice that God had given them. And in this moment, obviously, it changed so many things. And so to be a church, to be a people where we're helping each other to find our voice, tell them about the dream, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about, G tell them about the kingdom, tell them about things that ultimately matter. He must increase, you must decrease. And as John knows, it doesn't mean that you won't suffer. True obedience will be costly. And so a question that I know will seem, I hope it's, well, it's just in line with the text. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you ready? What does God need to do in your life to prepare the way for God to speak into your life? And what does God need to do in our church, in our nation, to prepare the way for him to move in power? It starts with repentance. It starts as a church, as a movement, as people saying, we repent, God. Would you move through us in such power, not through ourselves, not through just right, our voices, but through your voice in us that we might speak in the wilderness into the world in a way that changes things, actually moves things. To hear his voice. God wants to use your voice. Yes, your voice. I don't care what your voice is. If you're in Christ, he wants to use it, right? He wants to use it. In the, uh, if you've seen this movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, probably not. Not quite as cool anymore. But there's a great scene in the uh, movie that depicts John the Baptist getting executed. And in the movie, he's yelling at King Herod one word, repent. Repent, repent, repent. As they're dragging him away, he just keeps, you can imagine John, he probably did this. It's not scriptural, but I bet he was just yelling, repent, 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 right? Because he longs for Herod to repent. This is wrong, right? Always, he is morally courageous till the end. And in the background, as they're, they're starting to focus in on Herod's face, you can hear the ax go up, chop, decapitated. And in the moment, the camera zooms in back on Herod's face, and you hear a whisper, and it says this, repent. Why? Because you can kill John the Baptist. You can't kill his voice. Right? As uh, it says in Hamilton, this is not just a moment, it's the movement. A movement of the gospel. A movement of ordinary people using their voices, surrendered to the voice of God, through the spirit of God. So when a watching world looks at the church and says, why are you the way you are? They don't have to wonder. It's obvious.
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this may sound familiar to you from Dr. King. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being your voice. Help us, Lord, prepare to receive more of your power and more of your presence by listening to you and hearing you. Father, would we come to you, confess, repent, so that we could hear more of how you long to forgive us, to redeem us, and to use us for your glory. Help us be people who say, as Mahalia did, tell us about the dream. Father, help us be a church that encourages that, that we would be one voice for your glory. They may strike us down, but it goes on eternally. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, <laughs>